But as we will see, Jesus was faithful when he was tempted. He held fast to the word of God and he used it to overcome every temptation that was thrown his way. You and I live in that same world today, Christian, and we will indeed be tempted in those very same ways. Jesus defeated the devil and overcame temptation. And in our passage today, we will see that he gives us a model to do the same. So we will see that, number one, just as Jesus was tested and tempted, we are tested and tempted. Number two, just as Jesus does battle with a sword, the word of God, we must do battle with a sword, the word of God. And number three, just as Jesus defeated the devil, we too will defeat the devil. So let's look at that first point. Just as Jesus was tested and tempted, we are tested and tempted. Back in verses 1 and 2 and following. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, And when they were ended, he was hungry. A couple of things to mention here. First, uh, Jesus is returning from his baptism in the Jordan, filled with the Holy Spirit, which we looked at last week. And the first thing that the Spirit does is lead him out into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil. Did you pick up on that? First thing. Remember, we said Jesus was anointed with the Spirit to empower him uh, for his ministry. And his main battle is with the devil who uses the power of sin and the fear of death to oppress men and to bring them into bondage. And so the first um, conflict that he has, his first encounter, is here with the devil. And it's interesting to note that the Spirit leads him into this battle. He is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Matthew says it even stronger, says that Jesus was led effectively into the wilderness for the express purpose of being tempted by the devil in this way. Now, why would God do this? Why would God lead Jesus into a desert place where he would be tempted by the devil? We know that God does not tempt any man. That is, he does not entice him to do evil. But he does test men, right? We see him testing men over and over again throughout the Scriptures. Adam... Uh, was the first representative of the human race in the garden. And he too was tempted by the devil. And it's interesting, when the devil comes to tempt Adam, he tempts him with some food, (laughs) just as he does Jesus here. And Adam failed that test miserably. In our series, we have tried to stress the fact that God has been at work in the world in a cleanup effort ever since the fall of Adam to set all things right. And he does that first by setting apart the man Abraham and his family, which becomes Israel, to sort of reverse the curse of sin and death in the world. Israel, as we have seen, failed the test, just like Adam. They went into the wilderness for 40 years, and during that time, they were being tested by God. And every time the devil came and dangled the temptation in front of them, they fell victim to it again and again. But for the first time in human history in our passage today, we see a man who was tested and tempted, but yet he does not cave. He does not fall victim 
to the devil's temptations. Where Adam and Israel caved, Christ conquers. Christ is led into the wilderness for 40 days, which, by the way, is symbolic of Israel's 40 years in the wilderness. And where they were led astray by the devil, he is not. You got that? That's the main difference that we're focusing on here. Everybody else has been led astray throughout human history. Jesus is not. He does what they should have done all along. So he does what they could not do on their behalf. He's their representative. And friends, the temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ is common to us all. As we have said, he does this on our behalf as our representative. Well, why? So, if you think about it, why, why, would, why would he do this? Well, he is the one who is going to come and give us the ability to overcome and have victory later on when we are tempted in the same ways as he was. And how is he able to do this? Well, because he has dealt with the same trials and temptations that we have, and yet he was victorious. So he knows how to do it. He knows, us how, he knows how to lead us through them. His experience is similar to ours. Jesus intimately understands the temptations that you endure. Because he was tempted like you are, yet, here's the thing, he was without sin. We read this in our passage this morning. Uh, he was without sin, and therefore he can sympathize with us when we are being tempted. He understands what we are going through. He knows how to deliver us out of each of these trials, as I have said, because he himself was tempted on our behalf, and he endured, and he was victorious. God still allows believers to endure trials and tests, and you, you say, why? Why would he do that? Well, for the same reason that he does here. He wants to get you to learn to trust in him to provide for you during your times of trouble. He wants you to learn to trust in your heavenly Father alone while you are being tested, and while you are being tempted to get from him everything that you would need when those trials come your way. And during those times, God is going to grow you. He is going to teach you. He is going to uh, mature you in Jesus Christ. He's going to teach you how to handle circumstances with wisdom. And then later on, when your friends and your loved ones or your fellow church members are tempted and tried in the same ways, you will be able to walk them through those struggles because you have gone through them before, just as Jesus has gone through our trials before. It's the same pattern over again. Um, God wants you to grow up in Christ. He wants you to become mature. He wants you to persevere so that when you, uh, when you are uh, tempted during these times, He's going to build character into your life. He's going to make you more like Jesus who was faithful during the times that He was tried. Because that is His aim in your life, believer. He wants to make you look more like Jesus. That is his agenda for your life, and therefore he will test you. He will allow you to go through trials. He will allow you to be tempted by the devil. And he will not leave you alone. But you must trust in him. You must learn to cling to him, to struggle after him, to wrestle with God during these times, and he will give you the victory over your struggles. He will help you through them because 
he knows how he's undergone a similar experience. Now, are your temptations any different in the day in which we are living, or is the devil still up to his same old tricks? Well, friends, it is exactly the same. Uh, You know what the devil will do. He will wait until he finds out something that you need and something that you desire, and then he will try to use that thing to draw you away from God, just as he does with Jesus right here. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days, and he was hungry, so what does the devil do? He comes, and he offers Jesus an opportunity to have a meal. And friends, do not be deceived. The devil knows what you desire most. He knows what entices you. He's been watching men and women for thousands and thousands of years fall victim to the same sins and temptations that you fall victim to time and time again. We know from the Scripture that the devil can put it into the heart of men to do things. He put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. So what the devil will do is he will, he will come and he will whisper something in your ear. He will provide you with a temptation. And then he'll sit back and watch to see how you handle it. To see if that thing draws you out. <clears throat> As Paul says, he shoots a flaming dart. He shoots flaming darts into your heart. And then he waits. And when he knows that you'll go for that thing, whatever it is, he'll dangle it right in front of you to get you to, come, uh, to fall victim to your sin and to your temptation. Or he'll watch your life and see your struggles or your needs. And those are the things that he'll go after. Those are the things that he will use to draw you out. Therefore, we must be on guard against this. We must fight. But how do we fight? Let's look at what the Lord Jesus Christ does here. So we have seen that just as Jesus was tempted and tested, we too are tempted and tested. Now let's look at that second point. Just as Jesus goes to battle with a sword, the Word of God, we must do battle with a sword, the Word of God. We see that in verses 2-4. through four. For 40 days, I'll read, the, I'll read one again. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. So you'll notice that the devil is slick. Jesus has been fasting here for 40 days, and he's hungry. So what does he do? He provides him with an opportunity to eat. He says, you see that stone over there? Turn it into a piece of bread. God the Father has been making provision for Jesus during this time while he's in the wilderness for 40 days. So the temptation is for Jesus to try to obtain the things that he needs in and of himself. To look away from God and try to get this thing all on his own. So how does Jesus combat the devil's temptation? Look at verse 4. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. One thing that I want you to pick up on in each one of these narratives is, each, uh, is that each time the devil comes to Jesus with a temptation, he says. The devil comes and he says. He will suggest something. And then Jesus responds by saying, it is written. Right? 
So the devil comes and says, and then Jesus responds and says, it is written. So this is to say Jesus combats the temptation with the word of God. In other words, when the devil quotes Jesus, or when he tempts Jesus, he quotes scripture. And this particular quotation comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Uh, And there Moses is telling the people how God tested them when they were in the wilderness by, uh, by providing the manna for them to eat during the 40 years that they were there. And every day they had to wait and they had to uh, go out and gather uh, that bread that God would leave on the ground for them whenever they woke up. And this is how God sustained them while they were in the wilderness. And the point is the same here. Jesus must depend upon God alone to provide for him what he needs. Jesus is the new Israel. He is the faithful Israelite. He is the one who trusts and depends on God alone to provide for him everything that is necessary for faith and life. Verses 5 through 8. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So continuing the narrative. Another temptation. What, is this, what does the devil tempt him with this time? It has, been, it has been said that here the devil is offering Jesus the crown without a cross. He is offering him the crown without a cross. And I think that that is right. The Father has determined to exalt Christ and set him over all things. And it has been this way from the very beginning. It was prophesied that this would happen. But it was also prophesied that the Messiah would suffer. Remember, Jesus is the representative of his people. He does everything on their behalf. So he must come and suffer as well. So in effect, what the devil offers him here is a free pass, a get-out-of-jail-free card. He says, if you just bow down to me, I'll give you everything that you want right now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to die. You don't have to be tempted. None of these other things. Bow down, and it's all yours. Now, does the devil really have all of these things at his disposal? Yes and no. Yes and no. That is my answer to the question. Um, In the beginning, God gave all authority uh, on earth to Adam, right? And he told him to do it, take dominion, uh, and be fruitful and multiply. But when when Adam neglected his responsibility to his wife and to God, He refused to obey God's word and instead obeyed the devil. The human race came under the curse of sin and death and were made slaves to their lust, which, by the way, the devil has been using to oppress men and bring them into subjection ever since. Therefore, from the time of Adam until the time of Christ, there is a cosmic war that is taking place in the world, and the battleground is over the souls of men. So, yes... For a time, man lost the authority that God gave him in the garden. And in a sense, angels picked it up. But none of this was ever out of God's sovereign control. Right? God is in control of everything that takes place in time and in history. So yes and no. Was the temptation real? Right? That's the question we have to ask. Was he really tempting Jesus with something here? Well, yes. 
The devil really did offer these things to Jesus, but in the end, it wouldn't have paid off because ultimately, the devil doesn't have control of these things. God does, right? So what he offers is a version. This is important. A version of true rule and authority, which is temporal in nature. Let me explain. In other words, he offers some real authority to Jesus, but not in an ultimate sense. Because only God can bestow authority upon people. The devil cannot do that. Even the authority that the devil has comes from God. So the devil has borrowed authority, as it were. Authority that he has allowed him to have. Moreover, it was temporal in nature. Uh, This is to say what he offered him would have only lasted for a time. That is until God came and imposed his real authority uh, and his true authority upon the world once and for all. You see, the devil must work with what God has given him. The devil doesn't come up with anything original, anything new. The devil cannot create. Nothing truly belongs to him, even his authority. Therefore, he must take what belongs to God and try to pervert it. This is what the devil does. He takes, he takes what, God, what, what is God's and he perverts it. He takes the truth and he twists it. Right? That's important. That is what he has always done, and that is what he does here. Now again, Jesus answers him with Scripture. He says, it is written. And again, this quotation comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, which refers to the time when Israel was in the wilderness. There, God is warning them not to go after other gods like they had done before. Uh, We can think of the instance when they worship the golden calf, right? They take this image and they try to worship the true God through it. And there are other instances like this. In each one of those cases, they're worshiping false gods. And essentially what the devil is doing here is he is offering Jesus an ultimatum. Will he worship the Father or will he worship the devil? Will he worship the true God or will he worship a false god? Which one will he worship? Finally, we have the last temptation of Jesus in verses 9 through 12. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The place that the devil is most likely showing Jesus at this point is Uh, about 450 feet up in the air. And just to give you some perspective, if that is the place that he took him on the pinnacle there, uh, Josephus tells us it would make you dizzy when you look down off of it. So it's not like going up on top of the church roof or something and jumping off of it. He's essentially jumping off uh, like a mountain or a hill down into a valley with jagged rocks and stuff below, which would have killed Jesus if he did this, right? Now, what is interesting about this temptation is that there is a change in the narrative. I don't know if you picked up on it, right? This time, the devil comes to Jesus and he says, it is written, right? Up until this point, the devil comes and says, and then Jesus responds and says, it is written. But here the devil comes and he says, it is written, right? 
So the devil quotes scripture to Jesus. Maybe the devil realized something about Jesus at this point. Uh, you know, he does everything based on the authority of, of God's word. I'll quote some scripture to him, right? Now, he does quote a scripture that could be applied to Jesus, a faithful son of God, but he does not take into consideration what the rest of the Bible has to say about this subject. This is to say he's he's cherry-picking the verse. We see a lot of this today. And the Bible condemns uh, this sort of just reckless, uh, just recklessly living your life in light of the fact that God is in control. We're not to think that God is at our disposal. He has made some promises to us, and so I can live my life however I want. God has already determined the number of days that I'm going to live. He knows the day that I'm going to die, so it doesn't really matter. I can live however I want. And this is essentially what he wants Jesus to do. He wants Jesus to test God, to get God the Father to show up in some miraculous way and prove himself. He's like, let God prove himself. In other words, let him manifest himself right now. Let him show up and give us some evidence that you're the Messiah. But you will remember, God has already showed up and given evidence that Jesus is the Messiah last week at his baptism. The Spirit descends and the proclamation comes from heaven that he is the beloved Son. And so he wants God to prove himself some more. Put God to the test is essentially what he is saying. And Jesus says, ah, devil, that's where you messed up. You shall not test the Lord your God. You see, Jesus takes everything that Scripture says and holds it together. He does not cherry-pick verses. It says over here, you shouldn't test the Lord your God. And again, this is a quote from Deuteronomy, and it's referring to an, an incident in Exodus while they were in the wilderness where Israel put God to the test, making him uh, prove himself in some miraculous way beyond the ways that he had already done so. So God had already proved to uh, Israel that he was their God by sending the plagues onto Egypt. He miraculously delivers them through the uh, Red Sea crossing. He gives them the provision of the manna in the wilderness for 40 years, and yet they test God. They want God to prove himself in some other way to him. And that is what the devil wants Jesus to do here. He wants Jesus to act like Israel of old and test God. All right. Now that we have seen some of the enemy's tactics and we have seen how Jesus combats them, let's make some application. The devil started off by trying to get Jesus to trust in himself. Remember, he wanted him to make the stone into uh, bread. Here God had been providing for Jesus all this time. He was in the desert for 40 days, and the devil tempted him by trying to get him to rely on himself. And it's no different in the day in which we are living. He does the same thing to us, does he not? Here we have this church that has been here for almost 200 years, and God has provided for us in many, many ways over the years. But yet, over the last 20 years, some significant changes have begun to take place. There's been a shift in our culture, major shift. Um, Some pastors have come and gone. People have come to this church and gone. Our church pews are not as full as they used to be anymore. Our Sunday school class attendance is lacking. 
Um, we need gifted leaders, people in the church who can serve in various ways. And when this happens, what we want to do is begin looking around and try to sort these things out with our own devices. And we've got to be careful of that. Because what we will begin to do is look to the world for a plan and a program to sort of grow the church, right? We've got to become more relevant. Uh, We've got to try to accommodate the people who come through those doors into our church, right? We've got to be more seeker-friendly. And that is when the devil will come along and say, hey, dumb that down. Don't, Don't talk about that doctrine anymore. Don't say that word. Be quiet about that. And before long, compromise begins to creep into the church. And we begin to look to ourselves, to our own energy and our own efforts and our own abilities to do the things that only God can do. And we need to be on guard against that. We must look to Him. We must be unwilling to compromise. We must trust in the Lord as we have always done, to provide for us everything that we need, to pour out His blessings, to make a way where it seems like there is none, to bring about the change and the breakthrough and the energy and the people that we thought would never come through those doors. And God has begun to show us some of the first fruits of those blessings, but we must remain faithful. Sometimes it looks bad, right? Sometimes it it seems like things are, are getting worse. And many times, it is during those times that God is at work to bring about the change that we're looking for. And in hindsight, we'll look back and say, hey, God was at work when everything was a mess. When we were all worried, God was doing the thing that we were looking for Him to do, but we just don't see it now. And the devil wants to get us off track, right? Just try to scramble and figure it out on our own, but we must trust in God. We must rely on Him. Um, So we must lean in. We must continue to trust His plan, His program, and His faithfulness to carry out the work that He's called us to do here. And He will show up. He will provide and He will bless. Next, He tries to get Jesus to sell His soul. Right? Isn't that what He wants Jesus to do? Just bow down to Me and I'll give you everything you want right now. You don't have to worry about the hunger, the temptation, the suffering, the struggle, the death. Bow down and it's yours right now. And isn't that what our culture offers to us today? Right? We want everything the fast way. We live in a fast food culture. If I can't have it in five minutes, then I don't even want it at all. Right? And we need to be on guard against that. There are other ways that the culture is trying to give us these things in the fast way as well. Right? Here's another self-help book. Here's another get-rich-quick scheme. Here's a new philosophy or a new plan. Forget that old Bible. It's ancient and outdated. We need some new products, right? Some new gimmicks. Um, We need some new life. We need a new lifestyle to get us the things that we want right now. We need to watch that. The devil is trying to get us to exchange the truth of God for a lie all the time. This is his game. Exchange the truth of God for a lie. He will bring you something that sounds good, which has some element of truth to it. And for a while, it might pay off, but you've got to remember, that's borrowed truth. 
And everything that he has is coming to him from God, right? And so it will not last. And when it does not last, and when it does not satisfy, um, we will be left bankrupt and without hope. We need to look to God to give us the things that only God can give. Finally, he tempts him to test God, and he does this by cherry-picking a passage of Scripture and trying to make it say what he wants. And the unbelieving world does this sort of uh, thing all the time. I once heard an atheist say that if God is real and he's uh, who he says he is and he's all-powerful, then why doesn't he make this podium float up into the air right now? Prove himself. And if he does that, then I'll believe that he is God. Right? And that's the same thing he was trying to get Jesus to do to test God. And we do this sort of thing in the church too, right? Whenever God doesn't show up during our times of prayer, like He did in other times. You know, sometimes when you pray, it's like you're transported up into heaven and you have all this freedom and this grace to pray and there's peace and it's like the angels are singing and everything else. And then other times you can't pray at all. You're like, what's going on here? You know? Or sometimes you come into church and the music really touched you you know, the sermon really spoke to you. It was like God showed up. And then other times, you felt like you were just there. You know, you were just going through the motions. You didn't get anything out of that. And we need to be careful during those times because what we start to do is test God, always wanting Him to show up in some sort of miraculous way and prove Himself to us. And we ought not to do that. We are to remember the things that God has done in the past. We are to remember God created the world. He created you. Um, He sent His Son to die for your sins. He radically transformed you and He changed you. Um, He gives us visible signs. Baptism and the Lord's Supper for us to look at that point us to the promises that He has made to us. Every week, He gives us the ministry of His Word where we hear His promises recited. Um, We've got the whole history of Israel where God worked in the realm of the miraculous that we've been studying for the last seven months or whatever it is that we can look back to and say, look at how God worked here and look at how God worked there. We are not to suppose that God will show up when we, when we think He should or in the way that uh, we think He should according to our own whims. That is testing God. We are not to make God prove Himself. And the danger is the same as it was here. Uh, we'll start taking the Bible like the devil does and cherry-picking passages of Scripture to make them say what we want them to. <clears throat> and this is what the unbelieving world does all the time. Uh, it takes the Pagans take the Bible and they twist it and they bend it to make it fit into their agenda. And we've got to be careful not to do that. Don't just take a passage out of context and try to make God fit into our little box or to make God serve our agenda. Um, Finally, I want to mention something about this uh, last verse, verse 13. And that's where we see our last point. Just as Jesus defeated the devil, we too will defeat the devil. Verse 13. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Did you pick up on that? 
Here the Lord Jesus Christ emerges victoriously. He has overcome the temptation of the devil by submitting himself to the Father and obeying his word. But the Bible says that the devil left and he was waiting for an opportune time, right? What does that mean? Well, he is waiting for some time in the near future where he can come back and do his bidding again. He's not done. He's going to lie and wait. And then he will return at an opportune time. And this is the way that it always is. It's, in, it's this way in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and it is this way in the life of every faithful son or daughter of God today. The devil is looking. He's looking and he's waiting for an opportunity to exploit your lust. He wants to seduce you. And he knows what your weaknesses are. He knows about your life situation. He knows about your aspirations. And so we must always be on guard, like the Lord Jesus Christ was here, and take into our hands the weapon of our warfare, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and wield it valiantly against our enemy in battle. Christ has defeated the devil through his life, death, and resurrection. And remember, he has done this on our behalf, and he enables us to do it still today. So in closing... We have seen that the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted by the devil in all of the same ways that we are tempted by the devil today, and yet he did not fall victim to those temptations. God led him into this time of testing and allowed him to be tempted by the devil, but yet through it all he remained faithful, holding fast to the word of God, wielding his weapon boldly against the enemy in battle and emerging victoriously on the other side. We too will be tempted and tried. And we must be bold like Jesus, friends, wielding in battle our weapon of destruction, the Word of God, until we have conquered every temptation, putting every last one of them underfoot. And indeed, we will, for Christ has gone before us, and He knows how to deliver us out of anything that the devil might throw at us. So let us look to Him. Let us look to His Word for guidance and strength. For everything that we need as we walk through this life of trial and temptation, trusting in God to provide for us everything we need along the way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, the model gives us, the model he gives to us for fighting against our enemy, our old ancient foe, that serpent, the devil. Let us be on guard against him. Let us be not ignorant of his devices. Let us wield our weapon boldly in battle, the Word of God. Let us trust in it, know it, stand on it, walk in it. Let us be unwilling to compromise for anyone or anything, not moving an inch, and remembering that even the devil quotes Scripture sometimes, so that we must take all of what you have said into consideration. Let us be biblical people, biblically minded, knowing the Word of God, so that we might remain victorious, so that we might continue to conquer so that we might put all of our foes, all of our, t- all of our enemies under our feet. For it's in Christ's name we pray.